Well, good evening. It's good to be back together with you around the Word of God on an evening service. We are, of course, as you know, going verse by verse through this marvelous book of Revelation. This is part seven, and this is the things which are future. And as we've begun to dig into the book, we've been noticing that the book develops its own outline, as we've seen before and we've talked about. And last time we came to chapter four, and we left the church age. And what's funny is people always say, where, where does the rapture come in? Well, if you want to, you can just write it in, in the white space between chapters 3 and 4. All of a sudden, the narrative switches to heaven, and we saw some of what uh, is happening there. And that is phase 3 of the outline of this book. The theme of heaven is worship. And these are the things which are future. The things which are, the things which things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. This is the third part. Now look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, as we take a look at God's word this evening. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Let's stop right there. Now, it's obvious that John is not dreaming. Immediately again, he was in the Spirit, which means he was led by the Spirit to this vision supernaturally transported out of the material world awake come up here now revelation 4 2 immediately i was in the spirit and behold the throne was set in heaven and one sitting on the throne and it's a forever throne it's set in heaven it's a permanent throne that's what it's speaking of it's the throne of god revelation 4 3 describes him uh, in a very clear a very clear way now look at verse 4 around the throne were 24 elders uh, were 24 thrones. Upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and uh, golden crowns on their heads. Uh, there were 24 of them. In David's day, the priestly duties were divided into 24 divisions. First Chronicles 24, you can read about that. Uh, and later in Nehemiah 10, they served one month every two years. Very close correlation here. Perhaps these represent, although the, are these, this is the church, the carrying out of the priestly function in heaven perhaps, and all rotate. It, it seems to correlate well. Uh, some say, you know, it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 uh, disciples, of course. I, you know, that could be, I just, I like this understanding here from uh, 1 Chronicles 24, Nehemiah 10, where there's actually 24, and they're divided, 24 divisions and divided uh, into uh, one month every two years. So perhaps that's some of the duty that will be carried out. But this appears to be the church, and here's why. They're, the scene here is rewards. It's a time of rewards. Uh, they bear crowns. These are crowns of gold. In verse 10, they do something with their crowns. Uh, this appears to be the raptured church, now complete, reigning with God around his throne in glory, having been rewarded. They are with crowns. It says they are on thrones. Uh, they have white robes, and all three of these are promised to the church. And I think that is the redeemed people singing that song, those who are saved redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, nation, and people. It does not refer to angels. It can't refer to Israel. So it must refer then to the church. Revelation 4, 5 tells us what's happening around the throne. Let's look there. Verse 6, verse 5, verse 6. Um, and before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, this is a sea, uh, not, not really a sea, but some type of mineral. 
four living creatures. Literally, they're called the four living ones. These are the cherubim. They are angels, and it describes them in some detail. In a heaven full of living beings, that uh, they are described as the four living ones should give us a clue that they are hard to describe. And uh, so John, as the Holy Spirit carries them along, does his best, and, and we will talk about the, uh, the eyes in just a moment. John mentions them twice, and we talk about them, realize that they are seen uh, during the judgment of God. These angels are seen during the worship of God and when God's holiness is on display. So anytime we see the cherubim uh, throughout the scriptures, we see in one of those three areas, the judgment of God, the, uh, during the worship of God, or when God's holiness is on display. They're mentioned always with four. So perhaps they, uh, there are only four of them, but here they are, and the descriptions are remarkable. Now look at verse 7. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face like that of a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And John is using symbolic language, like a lion, like a calf, etc. Obviously, they must resemble these beings in their appearance. Uh, but there must be another reason for this resemblance. It's not exactly like the description that we find in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel describes each of these creatures as having all four attributes, but they're obviously the same creatures. And so, not exactly like it, but we see that correlation. Now, Psalm 80, verse 1 says, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. And so the Lord, obviously, in worship there, described as above the cherubim. Psalm 99, 1, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. Now, there he's described, obviously, he reigns, let the people tremble in judgment or in holiness, and once again, uh, enthroned above the cherubim. Uh, appearing to be speaking about the same beings. Each of them now have the same four attributes, all compared uh, to God's earthly creations. And if you think about each of these animals, you can begin to get a grasp, a mental image, if you will, of almost indescribable creatures. The strength and might, uh, the power and ability of a lion, the humility the gentle service of a calf combined with the strength and firmness of its posture, uh, the rational reasoning, interpretive abilities of a man, uncorrupted, of course, by sin, uh, the majesty, power, and physical ability like an eagle. Ezekiel 1.4 give, uh, gives an even fuller description of them. I encourage you to read that passage later if you wish. Just note it now, uh, and you can put it in your margin there to go back to. Perhaps you have that cross-reference there in your Bible. Verse 8 says, uh, Ezekiel one. I'm sorry, of, of Revelation uh, chapter 4. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And all day long and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And you just hear that over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Uh, that's the ambience of heaven, if you will. If you want to know, perhaps as a clue, what heaven will sound like, There'll be many things that you'll hear, of course, but one of the things that will be certainly remarkable, as John comments on it, is this uh, continuing, because it says they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now look at verse 9, Revelation 4. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, uh, the living creatures then lead this worship, that's obviously what's going on, who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne 
and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, uh, all of heaven is worshiping. You have the angels worshiping. You have the saints worshiping. The church is worshiping. They're all giving praise. They're all giving glory to God. The elders are casting their crowns at the feet, giving them to the one who really accomplished all the work because uh, we're not worthy, five crowns. And so uh, they give and, and, and they will give honor uh, where honor is due. We see five crowns in the scriptures, and we've looked at that before, uh, but they'll be casting these crowns before the Lord. Now, he, they say, uh, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And so we should just imagine then, during our worship time, we're actually just practicing for heaven. So as we come to the Lord in worship, understand that as we sing the words we sing and worshiping him in truth, we're just practicing for heaven. That's the theme of heaven is worship. Heaven is a place where everybody worships God. And so when John sees heaven, he sees all these people worshiping God. And now all of a sudden, something very interesting happens in chapter 5. Uh, the worship is broken. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Verse 1, I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. You know what that is? Well, it, you can describe it in a number of ways. It can be called the book of redemption. It tells the story of man's fall. It can be called the deed to the earth. If you look at Jeremiah 32, 7, uh, there's a great parallel there illustrating it perfectly. Uh, it's, it tells of the story of man's fall through sin and rise through Christ, the contract of all that's happened and what had to be done to fix it. It's sealed, it says, with seven seals. And uh, now we know from antiquity that uh, Roman law required that a will be sealed seven times. On the inside of the document would be the contract with all the details. On the outside of the document would be the summary of the document so that it could not be broken open. They would roll it so far, then they'd seal it, and they'd roll it a little further, and then they'd seal it, and roll it further, and seal it, and get the idea. And finally, they'd, they'd roll it to the tightest point and seal it in the seventh time. So the initial purpose of the seven seals is you could not break through without being discovered. Uh, so they secured the document that way. And no one who wasn't authorized was able to look at it. And that point will be important in just a few minutes. It has seven seals, and from the biblical text, it indicates a complete document, a perfect document, if you will. And so a will was sealed seven times. This is God's will and testament. It includes the disposition of the earth. His will and testament was to give the earth to Jesus Christ. That was his promise in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, and we see that very clearly there, and you can turn there uh, with me. Maybe we can just read that out loud. Why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, and he'll speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, 
and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And obviously that is exactly what's going to happen. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them with like earthenware. Verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so you had this idea then that this is God's last will and testament. You had the idea that he's going to give the earth to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he indicates is going to happen. And so this is sealed with seven times. It's, it's a perfect will and testament. It also uh, corresponds very well with a Roman law that required a will, will to be sealed seven times. Nobody unauthorized could take a look at it. And so this is God's will and testament. This was his promise. And that, that was a promise to the Son. Here's the deed to the earth. The Father holds it in his hand. And then look at verse 2 of Revelation 5. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. This is a strong angel. It could be Gabriel. His name means strength of God. Uh, perhaps it's him. Who is worthy to open and break the book and break the seals? That's a rhetorical question for the angel and those in heaven. And verse 3, but no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Now look at verse 4. So here's the title deed of the earth. And nobody's able to look at it. Nobody's able to open it. Nobody's worthy to open it. And then verse 4, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. So John's crying and uh, he's He's worried that nobody's going to see what's in there. It's obviously important. God's holding it in his hand. And uh, just another encouragement uh, that the elders are the church. Uh, who would know better than one of the redeemed church what it meant to be redeemed? And so one of the elders is going to answer it to him. One of the redeemed church who's serving in that rotation is going to tell him what it means to be redeemed and who needs to open it. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the roof of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. You know, and perhaps some people think, well, why didn't John know the answer to that? You know, I, I guess the best illustration I can give you is like a kid in front of his father. Uh, he doesn't understand everything that's going on. He, he doesn't know exactly what's happening, and he's a little intimidated, and, and so he doesn't know, he's not putting it together. And you'll see this with John, which is why I love the New Testament, as it's written, it doesn't, everybody doesn't come out smelling like a rose. Everybody doesn't have it all together, just like we don't have it all together. And John doesn't give the answer. He doesn't know it right away. And he does some other things that show that he's just kind of out of it and, uh, and not thinking, perhaps intimidated, over, emotional, overwhelmed. Uh, but uh, one of those representatives of the redeemed would know who was worthy to take the deed to the earth. And, and they use one of the first biblical names for the Messiah here, the lion from the tribe of Judah from Genesis 49 and Jacob's last words to his sons. And so they also call him the root of David. That's from Isaiah 11. It was a man born into a family, the right family, with the right rule, uh, right to rule Jerusalem, and from there, all the earth. So who's worthy? Well, the one who purchased it, of course, the one who bought it. Jesus Christ is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And he is described in verse 6 as the one who steps forward. Remember that the book of Revelation is a book about the revealing, the uncovering, the making, of, making Jesus clearly visible. It's not about you know, putting things in secret. It's not about a mystery that becomes a mystery hidden from view. It's about opening up a mystery, letting people understand what it is. Now look at verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing. Now where is he standing? I note his location between God's holiness and the redeemed. And that's important, isn't it? 
the angels and the representatives of the redeemed, the church, your representatives if you've been born again. It's a very beautiful pageantry here. During the Passover, God required the Jews uh, to, from Exodus 12, 3 through 6, to bring the lamb into the house for four days, really, in essence, making it a pet uh, before it was slaughtered. And a very important uh, thing that they did and understood the implications of it. And so this lamb, it says, uh, it looks like it's been slain. And the scars for the slaughter are still visible, but it's alive. It says it has seven horns. That, as we've seen before, is full power, seven being the number of fullness, and the horn of an animal meaning power, and seven eyes, which is perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, spiritual insight, uh, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, referring to and reflected uh, by the Holy Spirit. And here's an awesome moment in heaven, probably uh, from a symbolic perspective, one of the most awesome uh, similar, I would imagine, to Jesus ascending back into heaven, his work complete on earth, a moment the world has been waiting for for a long time. Revelation 5, 7, and he came, here it is, and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And that marks the unfolding of all that's going to happen. Jesus takes the scroll and he begins the process of taking back the earth. Paradise will be regained. It's just an amazing moment. Everything that's happened up to this point, from before Genesis 3 and the fall of Satan and the beginning of the rebellion through all the prophets and the Ten Commandments and the advent of Jesus himself and his death and his resurrection has led up to this very moment. Well, here's a question. What do you think this action causes in heaven? Well, it causes more worship, of course. Isn't that great? And so verse 8 and 9 and 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 and we'll look, uh, we'll look at all this worship more closely next time. Everybody's worshiping and worshiping. And why do you think heaven's so excited? Well, I'll tell you why. They're tired of the rebellion on earth, right? This, is the, this marks the end, the beginning of the end of the rebellion, doesn't it? Aren't you tired of the rebellion on earth? Aren't you tired of our president and, and those who he has appointed and many of our elected officials are rebelling against the law of the Lord, making wickedness into law? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of of uh, many of the injustices we see around the world, and we just see rebellion everywhere, and I'm tired of that, I'm sure you are, and that's the end of it, that's the beginning of the end of it, when he takes that scroll. So they're tired of disobedience, because true faith is what? Obedience. True faith is obedience, and they're tired of disobedience. And when they begin to see that Christ has taken the scroll, that he's going to unroll it, he takes the deed to the earth, he's going to take back the earth, and they get excited about that, and there's glory and there's praise, and there's worship in heaven. Culminating, really, in verse 12, and we'll just skip up there momentarily and look at it more next time. Look at verse 12, just skip forward. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And you can hardly read it without hearing the Messiah, right? You can hardly hear, or read it without, without hearing uh, the performance of the Messiah, because that's, all those words are all in there. And so this phrase starts in heaven. God's on the throne, he holds the title to the earth, all heaven's worshiping, and they say, who is worthy to take back the earth and give it to God, to restore it to its paradise and intention? Who's worthy? And no one's found, and all of a sudden, Jesus fi John finds himself weeping, and then comes the lamb, and the lamb takes the title of the earth as if to say, I'll do it. I'll unroll the scroll. I'll take back the earth. And when that's established in verse 7, all of heaven begins the hallelujah chorus all over again. And here's the question. Where will you be on that day, beloved? 
Scripture says you can know. Would you bow your head with me? Isn't it majestic? Isn't it glorious? It should be. The heavens declare the glory of God, Scripture tells us. We just forget to look what's for your eyes. Who do you serve? Do you serve a mighty, glorious God who has for his throne heaven and earth for his footstool? In this future scene in heaven, which God sees as present now, it's as sure as if it's already occurred, beloved, because God has shown us that this is a future scene in heaven. Do you live like God's going to win and the rebellion will be crushed? Or do you serve the gods of this world, the deceiver and the father of lies, the leader of the rebellion? Beloved, don't be deceived. Scripture always talks about not being deceived. Jesus said it many times, do you long for the day when Jesus is declared in power? Or is that a day, and you're not sure why, that you just don't get too excited about? Or are you not really sure about how you feel about it? You can resolve those things tonight. It's a sure day coming. Paul says, you know, in the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul knew what was coming. You can cry out to him now and ask for forgiveness of your sin. Confess him as Lord. Believe that God's raised him from the dead. You've been forgiven much. You look forward to a day when you can rejoice with Jesus as he is placed in his rightful position. He came as a suffering servant to be crucified, murdered on a cross. He rose again, seen by over 400, 500 people, and then resurrected and raised back to heaven, waiting to come again. And we look forward to that day, and you can look forward to it too. Father, we thank you for this time together tonight. We thank you for an opportunity to look into your word and be encouraged by what we see and excited about what's going to happen as if it's already occurred and the ambience of heaven, which is already happening now. And Father, we long for those days. But if there's someone here, please draw them to you, Lord, I pray. They may understand the depth of their wickedness and the sin that separates them from you, that they may come uh, in humility, in repentance, seeking salvation from their sin and so that you can change them, make them fit for heaven to someday receive them to yourself where they will with a throng that's going to be there that's unnumbered, sing of your glory. And we look forward to that day. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.